Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Living, a practical guide for living the open-handed life every day. And we are in the second week of Lent, a time of reflection, repentance, and renewal. And though we all may be following a different guide or reading a different book, the thing we all have in common is that we've all given up something in order to try to understand the suffering of Christ, to somehow enter into and participate in that suffering. And I wanted to read something just to focus our minds. From my reading this week, I'm reading the Bread and Wine book. And the reason I love this book so much is just because it's a collection of writings from all of these great men and women through the ages, ever since Jesus came, just writing down their thoughts about how to stay faithful and following Jesus in their lifetime. And I just love reading, you know, some things from the 20th century, some are from 1800s, 1700s, even all the way back to the 400s. I just find it amazing that even so far back, you know, Christians have always been sort of facing the same things. And um, I can relate so much to someone who lives in 400, which is so bizarre. Um, and it just gives me a way to kind of enter into the great conversation of Christians through the ages. And so I just love reading it. This particular writing is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I'm sure you're familiar with him, but for those who aren't, he was a German preacher during the time of Adolf Hitler, and he was um, one of the few that sort of stood up and said, we won't promote Nazism in the church, and in fact, I will stand in opposition to, to Hitler no matter what the costs, and of course, it cost him his life. That's what he gave for that, but um, he was able to write so many poignant, helpful things uh, during this time of imprisonment and all of that um, that we've really benefited from today. And this is from his writing. It says, those who acknowledge that they view suffering and tribulation in their own lives only as something hostile and evil can see from this very fact that they have not at all found peace with God. They basically merely sought peace with the world believing possibly that by means of the cross of Jesus Christ, they might best come to terms with themselves and with all their questions and thus find inner peace of the soul. They have used the cross, but not loved it. They have sought peace for their own sake. But when tribulation comes, that peace quickly flees them. It was not peace with God, for they hated the tribulation that God sends. And when I read this first, it just cut me to the heart, so convicted, because I certainly can be, um, I run the risk of being somebody who is searching for that inner peace. You know, I want the sort of the Zen, you know, Nirvana experience. And you know, that's not the cross. The cross is accepting that Jesus is Lord, that, that God is good, and whatever he sends, whether it's, it's, you know, rain or shine, whether it's good times or bad times, whether it's testing or feasting, that he is still good and that he is worthy of praise and that I don't have to have my peace wrapped up in a peaceful circumstance or a peaceful existence here. It truly is finding peace with God is truly finding that peace that transcends all understanding because no matter what the circumstances, I still feel peace. I feel security. I think that word security has been coming to mind over and over these past few weeks because I feel things differently than I've ever felt before, but I feel secure. And I think it's just that whole idea that whatever my lot thou has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. That's where that comes from, that peace with God, um, not just peace, not just inner peace. 
Um, so anyway, I hope that helps us as we're doing this time. Sometimes times of fasting and times of introspection can turn into uh, something to satisfy ourselves rather than something for God or um, to participate with Jesus. So I hope that helps. And uh, I wanted to go over to John 5 today. You know, I told you I've been reading from John. And um, something that's been happening to me as I've been reading these past few weeks or just past few days has been just that I'll get to a story of some miraculous thing that Jesus did. You know, last time we talked about his first miracle or a healing. And I really find myself just wanting to, I don't know, meditate on it for a while. You know, just, and this is definitely a practice that helps us to be more holy, just to sort of immerse ourselves into a story um, and try to feel the characters and try to feel what it would have been to be there and try to hear what, we're, what we can learn from Jesus and how he handled the situation and what we learn about his heart and the heart of God through it and all of that. And so um, as I was reading, I stumbled upon, again, the, the story in John 5 about the healing at the pool. And um, I'm very, I was very interested in it, uh, first of all, because uh, 2019 for me was sort of a time of tearing down. You know how Ecclesiastes says there's a time to live and a time to die, a time to laugh, a time to cry, time to tear down, a time to rebuild. And I feel like 2019 was legit a time to tear down. Um, you know, and I feel like hopefully 2020 is going to be a time to rebuild and to, and to heal. And it actually, so far it has been. So, so far so good. But that's what led me to sort of, um, you know, camp out on this story. And I want to read it and then go back and just talk about it a little bit. Because this story to me is about what to do when you are stuck. So let's read this. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep's Gate, was the Pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said to do such things as that, they demanded. The man didn't know for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you're well, so stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. And you know, the first thing that, um, that jumped out at me during my first reading of this was just the fact that at the end, you know, Jesus comes back to this man and he says, you need to stop sinning. And I sort of just sort of, you know, it struck me because, you know, when we think of healing, I think that probably wrongly, I often think of, you know, healing from wounds that other people have inflicted on me or healing from things, you know, maybe, maybe past sins or things I've done to myself. But I think it's important to remember that there is a part of the healing process that requires repentance on our part. And I was interested in seeing how these things all came together. 
So let's go back to the beginning. So at the beginning of the story here, Jesus stumbles upon this man or walks upon this man who um, has been suffering from something, we don't know what, for 38 years. So the first thing that I think of is that this is a this story here is to help us with these things that we've that have just been plaguing us our whole life. Okay, now some of you aren't even 38 and you're listening to this, but just think about those things that have been there your whole life. That's what I want you to think about. Now, I mean, for me, I overate for 35 years, so I know what it is to have something that has plagued you for this long. And even before that, I have had struggles with um, you know, this, this rudeness. These, these are the things that you feel like just make, even though you know it's not right, it feels like this is just who I am. This is how I was raised. This is what I grew up with. Or this is, you know, this is just in my DNA. Even though you know that's not true, it's sins that have been there so long. I mean, possibly it is this this addiction, the, the, per, the person that has traded an addiction after addiction after addiction, you know, you, you you got rid of one because you knew you shouldn't do it because the Bible says you shouldn't, so then you traded in for another, and then you traded in for another, and maybe some that are socially acceptable, but you've just gone from one addiction to another addiction to another addiction because you've never figured out how to go to God with your pain and let Him help heal you emotionally, or let Him bring you relief, and let Him bring you um, what you're looking for. Um, or it could be just, you know, you're a yeller. You yell at your kid. Ever since your kids have been alive, you've been yelling at them. But you were yelling even before that because you came from a family that yellers. And your parents yelled at you and you yelled at them and you guys all yelled at each other. Or, or you know, maybe you've always, you know, struggled with your pride or your... Um, uh, what, what's that called when you're critical? Criticalness of other people or disrespect. You can't seem to get over that disrespect that you feel towards your, your husband or your boss or whatever it is. And it's just been this ongoing, recurring sin in your life. You know, something that you just feel like, I'm going to get it this year. This year I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get rid of this overeating or I'm going to get rid of this addiction. Or I'm going to get rid of this. And it just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. This is what this guy was dealing with, is a 38-year problem. <laughs> so when Jesus comes to him, he's stuck. I mean, this guy is stuck. And you know what it is to be stuck. I've, I've been stuck. You get stuck in these ruts. You feel like you can't get out of it. And you go, I know I'm supposed to be renewed by the transforming of my mind, but I feel like every pathway my brain just keeps leading me back and no matter how many times i try to get out i keep getting back looped back into that and that's what i want to talk about is getting out of that loop getting unstuck so let's look at what jesus does here first of all he asks him a very important question he says do you want to get well and I think at first glance, that could feel like almost a cruel question. Like, what the heck? Are you asking me if I want to get well? I mean, I'm here. I've been sitting by this pool for 38 years. Maybe he hasn't. I don't know. But, you know, like, I I keep trying. I keep coming. I keep doing blah, 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 blah. But I think, you know, something I've been learning about lately is the concept of a secondary gain. And that is just the fact that no, that the things that we do in life, even though they appear and we know they're not good for us, we keep doing them because there is some form of reward that we're getting from it, some form of secondary gain. Now, it's easier to see it in the extreme, so I'll give you some extreme examples. You know, um, somebody who is, um, you know, getting drunk, you know, you're, you're, you're drinking, you're over drinking, you're getting drunk and you're throwing up and you're losing your job and you're losing your kids and your marriage is on the line, blah, 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 all of that terrible stuff. You would think, you know, 
this this is not bringing them anything but harm you know surely they they're gonna stop but no they're getting some secondary gain they're getting relief in the moment they're getting a relief uh, an immediate relief okay what about overeating we know that with overeating it, it's hard on our joints it's hard on my feet it's you know i i don't feel good in my clothes i can't find clothes that fit me anymore my heart it, you know is hurting i i can't catch my breath i'm out of shape i you know my um my blood isn't flowing the way that it should you know it's dangerous i have high blood pressure i've got heartburn you know all of these things and i don't feel good about myself you would think you know i'm getting nothing out of this overeating but yeah we keep doing it because of that secondary gain that immediate response you've got people even more extreme people that cut themselves well people that p pick out their eyelashes and pick out their eyebrows and have all kinds of um different kinds of behavior that you think what are they getting out of that but there is something that you're getting. Whenever you keep doing it, you have to figure out what is my secondary gain? And I just wanna to recommend to you that Jesus asks this question and I would ask it of you, what are you getting out of it? Write it down. Write down, what is your secondary gain? You know, decide, is that gain worth staying the way that I am, or do I want to get well? Look at it, analyze it. Is there any other way to get that gain? So first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna write down our secondary gain, and we're gonna make a decision. Do I wanna get well? Do I wanna change from that? You know, even yelling, that can be, you know, that's the big thing that I have been working on is not, um, actually, there is really no yelling. Um, but just the, the anger and uh, that I have um, always had, just overcoming that. The, some of you have watched that video about going from, um, oh, what did I call it? I can't remember, but it's going from um, intensity to gentleness, I think is what I called it. And learning to be gentle. That was a huge thing to try to have to figure out. What am I getting out of this? Well, of course, I'm getting quick relief. I'm getting my way. I'm getting what I want in the moment. I'm settling for what I want in the moment and sacrificing what I want for the long term. Anyway, write that down. Okay. But when, God, when Jesus does ask him that, and he asks him the question, do you want to get well? What does he get back? Of course, he gets back all this guy's excuses. And of course, that's the first thing that creeps up for us. I mean, we're like, that. I'm totally like that. I'm turning myself in. I'm all, I'm all about like, when something is not going right, when something bad happens, I'm like, okay, who is to blame around here? <laughs> and rarely is it me, you know, like looking around, Jay's close, I'll blame him. You know, my kids, it's my kids. They're the reason I, you know, get so upset because they do this and they do that. And well, if he would just this and he would that, you know, are the people around me, my small group, my church, my school, whatever. It is so easy. Even he is, says, well, everybody gets in before me. It's always so much easier to project out. That's what we as humans do. We like to project out our problems and make it about somebody else besides us or deflect back onto the person that's bringing some issue to us or whatever it is. We don't want initially to take responsibility. But I urge you, even if that is your first response, pushed past it. It's my first response, a lot. But push past it and go, wait, 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 wait a second. It's not anybody else's fault. It's not my upbringing. It's not my, uh, what are, my hormones. It's not my metabolism. It's not any of those things. It is me. 
<laughs> okay. And try to get rid of those excuses. Write all of your excuses down. If you've already got your secondary gain written down, write all of your excuses down. What have I hid behind? What have you been hiding behind? What have you been going to and blaming for the reason that you cannot yet change with God? Okay, so he gets through all of his excuses, and then Jesus just says, you know, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. <laughs> which I think is so funny because he doesn't answer a single one of his excuses. He doesn't try, which my, my whole thing would be to figure out the system around here. You know, like, that's not fair. <laughs> he can't get in. Hey, guys, this is not fair. You know, I try to rearrange everything. I just don't think like Jesus, you know. But Jesus is like, no. Mm -mm. Get up pick up your mat and walk, which is interesting that he tells them those three things to do. But let's talk about these th three things. First of all, I just says stand up. And I think this is really important because you know how many times we fall down? It's time and time again. And that, you know, that commercial that says I've fallen and I can't get up, that's a funny commercial, but that's not funny in real life <laughs> because, you know, you try. And this is why people, so many people quit. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And every single time I try, then I fail. And I've tried again and tried again. Yes, I know. But the only thing that you can do to fail is quit. You need to keep getting back up because every time you get back up, you're getting back up. You are go not starting from scratch. You're starting from experience. So you get back up and you start from experience. And you go, no, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stop um, allowing myself to be taken down and kept down. Every time I fall down, I'm going to get back up. And I promise you, that if you continually do that, you will learn to stand permanently. You will. Um, it takes a while, just like it does for a toddler. A toddler's learning to walk. When you're learning to do something new, you're gonna fall down a lot. But as they get older and older and older and stronger and more balanced, they can finally walk. And that's what happens to us. Then it says, pick up your mat. And this becomes a big controversy later, which we're going to talk about. But I think that the first thing that made me think about was, well, what does his mat represent? Well, this is what was his, this is what was holding him up. This is what he was relying on. This is what he was actually literally laying on. And I think that this can be applied to us metaphorically. I think that what is it that you've been relying on? Pick it up. Pick it up. You know, there is a time to just get rid of the thing that you are relying on. I mean, it is Jesus that said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eyes are causing you to sin, gouge it out. You know, I think we got to be very, you know, we have to be careful to, uh, to remember that Jesus did require change in our life. It's not just being works-oriented to change. When, when he says that, he means change something in your life. Cut it out. Maybe it's that you need to cut something out of your life. Maybe you need to change your route home from, from work. You know, people that have struggled with impurity their whole life, you need to cut off certain things in your life. If you've been, if you've been struggling with impurity since you were 10 or whatever age you were, you, you should have a lot of, of things that are helping you on your computer. You should have a lot of watchdog things on this phone right here. This is this is a weapon of Satan. It could also be a tool for God, but it's a weapon of Satan, a phone. For those of you who are listening home, I held up my phone. You know, you, you have to be willing to cut those things out of your life that mess you up. You, maybe you need to cut out a certain meal. Maybe you need to decide this whole day belongs to the Lord. The, the, it's not like I give God my whole day, but the nights belong to me. No, 
The nights belong to God too. <laughs> when you get home, it belongs to God. Maybe you need to start praying on your way home from work. Maybe you need to change the way that you enter the house so that you can be gentle and kind. Maybe you need to change the way you're doing your morning routine. What do you need to change? What do you need to cut off? What do you need to pick up? What do you need to move? Figure out what it is that is, that is enabling you. You know, when we see uh, uh, someone who's using, when we see an alcoholic or someone who's using other drugs, we know that they can't do that alone. There's only way an alcoholic can continue to be an alcoholic is if he's being supported by people around them, right? What is enabling you? Get rid of whatever's enabling you. Take responsibility and get rid of it. And then it says, walk. We need to get going. You know, there are things to do. You know, the truth is, if we are busy doing the things that God has intended for us to do, we don't have as much time to get into the things we shouldn't be doing. <laughs> and I'm not talking about making yourself busy to be distracted. I'm talking about doing those things, which those good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do, as it says in Ephesians. Or how about in 1 Peter when it says, if you are being tested in many ways, you should commit yourself, recommit yourself to your faithful maker and continue to do good. When we have committed ourselves to Bible studies with people, to um, times with our children, to, you know, I just had a time with my daughter. You know, nothing that I wanted more than to just sort of veg out and take a nap or whatever. But I just had this incredible time with my daughter reading this book together. It was totally, I was so tired I didn't want to do it, but I'm so glad I did it. It kept me doing something good and God blessed it because now she's blessed and I'm blessed. You know, we need to keep ourselves walking in the light, <laughs> walking in the spirit, doing the things the spirit is calling us to do and walking in the light, which means bringing everything up and into the light. That will help you to keep from going back to those things when you are confessing, when you are texting. Um, you know, I've, I have a group of people, a way down group of people. We just text each other, you know, how are you doing? What are you struggling with? What's going on? Confession and, and, and sharing victories and, and repentance stories and all that. It's, it is refreshing and it keeps me walking in the light. Commit yourself to walking and doing good. Okay, so... Let's cover what we've, let's recover this. So you're going to write down what you are, um, your secondary gain. You're going to write down what your common excuses are. Then you're going to stand up. You're going to get going. You're going to get yourself back up. You're going to get rid of whatever it was. You're going to, you know, get rid of whatever's making you stumble, whatever's supporting you, whatever's enabling you, and you're going to get back to walking in the light. Okay, so what happens when you do that? Well, in this case, a lot of controversy that you really wouldn't expect, okay? So I don't know why this is, but whenever we repent of something, whenever we change something, I think it upsets the order of all the people around us. In some ways, if we change something, we repent, we feel this refreshment. And a lot of times, people who are in line with us spiritually, they feel refreshed as well. They're inspired, and it inspires them to change and to grow. And, and it's like this synergy. It's like this, that you know, it goes out from you, and, it, and it, it sort of affects the people around you, and it sort of brings everybody up. That's for the people that are walking in the light. But when you've been in the darkness a little bit, and you have other people that you've been hanging out with the darkness, maybe you've been gossiping with people or hanging out with people just talking about stuff that doesn't really matter or whatever, and then you change, uh, 
it shines this bright light, this big spotlight on them, even if you don't want it to. And they feel uncomfortable and they don't like it. Sometimes you have to change even who you're hanging around with. I've known people that became Christians and they pretty much lost every friend they were hanging around with for a while. It comes around later, but for a while it causes some friction, it causes some problems. Um, I've known people who've gotten sober and, 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 and have become faithful to their spouse, but it caused them to be so different that their family didn't like it. It's crazy, right? Because sometimes the light shines so bright, but the darkness doesn't like the light. They don't want to come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed, as it says in John 3, um, 19. And so they get uncomfortable. And this situation, it wasn't even the, it wasn't even their sort of the worldly party buddy kind of people. This was the religious people. And I think sometimes this can happen too. Sometimes when you repent of something, honestly, even the religious people around you resent it because perhaps it's not the way they wanted you to do it. And here's what we see here. These religious people that surrounded this guy were so worried about the Sabbath, their mindset about what the Sabbath meant, that they totally missed the miracle. This guy who could not walk, who had been lame, is now walking in front of them and they're so worried about their religious regulation that they can't enjoy the repentance of the person in front of them the healing of the person in front of them this person is healed and they miss the whole thing entirely because they have their own agenda and remember this sometimes people have their own stuff that they're dealing with and even the best hearted even the best hearted. In this situation, it was the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees, you know, I don't want to go into a long talk about that, but they were the ones that actually were trying to preserve the Word of God. Mm, they got off. But around us, sometimes we can have people who are struggling with their own stuff. They're struggling with their own significance. They're struggling with the own, their own things that they can't overcome. And when they see you overcoming, or when they see you doing repenting or doing something or being healed, it actually makes them jealous. That jealousy that they feel is something that they're going to have to deal with, and I'm sure they will later on. You know, people are walking at their own pace. God is revealing things to them as they're ready. Not everybody is ready to see what you see at the same time. You know, I think one of the things that I have, I have witnessed happen, and I've done it, I've been just as guilty as anybody else, is I've noticed that when somebody discovers something new, say, in the kingdom, and they they come to some big, you know, new aha moment. You know how that happens, like God leads you to something. He leads you to a book, or he leads you to some, you know, recovery program, or he leads you, and, and all of these lights go off in your brain. You're like, oh my gosh, oh, this is, this is mind-boggling. This is, this is life-changing. This is awesome. And he did it just for you. He gives it to you because it's what you needed. But then sometimes we can say everybody needs this. You know, I have had, I've had both of these, these things happen um, from my perspective. There's been times where I've thought, oh man, everybody needs this. Everybody needs CR, you know, or everybody needs this way down or everybody needs whatever, whatever, you know, and I'll think those things. But then there's other times where I realize, you know, I think that this was just what it took for me to see things that other people have already seen. 
You know, some people have been, have, you know, all, were already vulnerable and open. It was me that wasn't vulnerable and open, but they were. They didn't need that to make them that way, but I will put it on them. And I've noticed that, that that happens. When some people have epiphanies, they want everybody else to have the same epiphany in the same way, from the same book, from the same program, whatever it is. And I think that that can be hard um, when you're living in community with people. We see that here this guy was healed, but it created quite a stir. You know, it created a big deal. Now they had their own agenda. I think in this case, what I was describing to you is a little more pure hearted. I think in this case, maybe it wasn't so pure hearted because they were really looking for a way to get Jesus and it wasn't so good. But I think that that happens too. I think that people can get married to their own agendas and they can get very set on what they think should happen. And even when they see a miracle in front of them, they can't acknowledge it because it goes against what they were thinking. And I think that that happens. But you notice that when Jesus comes back and he sees this guy again, he doesn't worry with any of that. He doesn't even talk about it. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry about those guys. You know, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay that you carried your mat on the Sabbath. He doesn't even address that. All he does is he goes back to that guy's heart and he goes, you need to repent or something worse is going to happen to you. You know, and I think, you know, stop sinning. I think that for for all of us, it is a good idea that as much as we can, as we're living and in community, as we're trying to be the family of God, and we're trying to help each other, and we're trying to speak into each other's lives, and we're trying to, um, you know, grow together, I think it's also important always to go, you know, my main focus has got to be on changing me. My main focus isn't on changing everybody else and making sure everybody else is doing what they're supposed to do. My main challenge and my main goal has to be in changing me and bringing the repentance back to me always. You know, this is how we get unstuck. Satan will do anything that he can to stop that. He will send your old buddies around. He'll, he'll make waves inside the church, you know, that, that feel terrible. He'll do all kinds of things that he can to keep you from keeping your focus on what Jesus wants you to focus on. Jesus clearly brought his focus back to himself. He said, don't worry about what these other guys are doing. Don't worry about all this. You, as far as it depends on you, you stop sinning. You know what I healed you from. You know what you're supposed to do. And I think that's such an important thing for us to do. Always bring our thoughts back to what we're changing. So. I, you know, actually hope that you haven't been stuck, but in case you have, I hope this helps you. Or if at some point you do get stuck somewhere, I want you to remember this video so that you can come back to it and hopefully get unstuck. So I hope this helps you until next time. Mm -hmm.